Strip loose, Sabres get it, right side, and no shot from Thompson. Now he rips it home. Takes Thompson, all sorts of patience. Buffalo wins the left circle draw, score from the left point. The drive from Lawrence Pilot got through, it's his first goal. 1.5 to go, left circle draw. Time of the draw, and it's cleared at the horn. The puck goes into the goal, it won't count. Game is over anyway. Final score, Sabres 3, night 2. We're rolling, Ed. I was watching Joe Buck kick Derek Jeter out of the clubhouse in the All-Star game. Or Derek Jeter kicked Joe Buck out. Did you ever see that clip? No. What, what? Wasn't it? Fro- I mean, I think it's like two decades old. Yes, but they played the clip and said, never forget the time Derek Jeter kicked Joe Buck out of the clubhouse because Joe Buck was in there with a camera like two minutes before the game. And Derek Jeter said, get out of here. We have a game to play. At the All-Star game? Yeah, that was the, that was the weird part. It was the All-Star game. Yeah, calm down, Derek Jeter. The All-Star game. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of, he did Miguel Cabrera, who looked at him weirdly. And then he did Mike Trout and said, he's 23 years old. He's one of the best players ever. Mike Trout kind of like sneered at him. Like nobody wanted to talk to Joe Buck. Was he the live on air? I think, yeah, no, he was because after <laughs> Jarek Jeter said that, he goes, "Okay, here's the All Star game." <laughs> so it's probably contractually obligated. Yeah, it was, I mean, I'm room. sure someone told him, "Hey, Joe, we need you to go in there and talk to people." And the player said, "No, thank you. We don't want you here." I'm just happy that I got to play a lot of uh, Muppet Christmas Carol because you were watching a video. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I was late to the party. Apologize. The first bite. Will Bruce Cassidy scratch <laughs> Phil Kessel? This is your moment. It hasn't happened you have yet, been, No, it hasn't happened yet. But you've been calling for this. Forever. Last night might have been the time. And Bruce uh, Cassidy afterwards started kind of hinting, you know, with, oh, he's not playing as good a 200-foot game as other people. Um, he started hinting a little towards maybe that move that you've wanted him to do for a long time. But let me ask you this, because every time we've talked about it, one of the follow-ups was, okay, if he does this, then do they have ample replacements that would make sense? Uh, At the moment, no, because everybody's hurt. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No. Uh, But as soon as they, if they start getting healthy, obviously starting with Jack Eichel, then... They should. I mean, in all honesty, one guy comes back, they they probably should. Healthy scratch, Phil Kessel. Because here, here was the fascinating part about Bruce Cassidy's comments last night. Jack Eichel's hurts. They don't have their first line intact. They're trying out new guys there. Paul Cotter uh, got a shot there, but Paul Cotter got hurt. Bruce Cassidy, when talking about playing uh, somebody else in that first line, he wasn't comparing Phil Kessel and his lack of a 200-foot game, his lack of defensive ability. He wasn't comparing Phil Kessel to Jack Eichel. He was comparing Phil Kessel to Brett Howden and Paul Cotter and saying that Phil Kessel can't do what Brett Howden and, and, and Paul, Paul Cotter, Cotter can do. This is not, oh, Phil Kessel's not Jack Eichel. This is Phil Kessel is not replacement player level when you're talking about, ah, Brett Howden and Paul Cotter give us more than Phil Kessel. 
And what that tells me is that when this team is relatively healthy, that it shouldn't matter if it's just a replacement level player. Paul Phil Kessel should be out of the lineup. If it's Paul Cotter, if it's uh, Brett Howden, if it's uh, Jonas Ronberg, Jake LeCision, like Phil Kessel should not be in the lineup over any of these guys. So once they're legitimately healthy, you kind of have to scratch Phil Kessel if you're going to put out the best team to win, but that might not be the priority. Jonas Romberg got first line shifts over Phil Kessel. Yeah. So Think here's, about that. here's what happened last night. Phil Kessel starts the game on the top line with Mark Stone and Chandler Stevenson. When those three were on the ice together, the Golden Knights did not have a shot attempt. Not shot on goal. They did not have a shot attempt. Not even like, ah, we missed it or it got blocked by a defenseman. Those three did not have a shot attempt while they were on the ice together. Overall, in Phil Kessel's total time, he played seven minutes of five-on-five last night. The Golden Knights had one shot attempt. They allowed two goals. And the second Buffalo goal, the way that play broke down, Phil Kessel standing at his defensive blue line receives a pass and just loses it. Just turnover in his own zone. It leads to a Tage Thompson having the puck in the slot. And Phil Kessel has a chance to block the shot or at least make it difficult for Tage Thompson to shoot on net. And Phil Kessel, I mean, he looked like what I would have looked like trying to block a shot in the NHL. It's almost like he got out of the way on purpose and Tage Thompson ends up scoring and Buffalo has a 2 nothing link after that goal. Bruce Cassidy benches Phil Kessel, right? We see Riley Smith get a shift. We see Jonas Ronberg get a shift. We see Michael Amadio get a shift on that first line. And Phil Kessel didn't play for, I think it was like six minutes or something. His very next shift is with uh, the third line right off the face off. They give up a goal. Now, is that truly Phil Kessel's fault? He actually was the closest guy to the shooter, but not really. But that means two shifts in the second period for Phil Kessel. And he gave up, they gave up goals on both. And they ended up playing a little bit in the third, like 30 seconds. But we should say they lost. They did lose too. Um, but that's basically Bruce Cassidy, what he did in game with Phil Kessel. And then what he said afterwards, Bruce Cassidy is telling everybody Phil Kessel is not good enough to play for this team. My question is, will Phil Kessel actually be scratched? I think he might be. I think last night was maybe the the early showing that this is where it's headed when someone uh, when someone healthy comes back like Eichel. I don't know if you can play him that little, say what you said afterwards, and not seriously be considering this. The other part of playing him that little that comes up, last night we saw five Golden Knights forward. Forwards, not defensemen, forwards play at least 20 minutes. Stone Stevenson and the misfit lines. All five of those guys played at least 20 minutes. So far this season, Stone and Stevenson are in the top 15 in minutes played in the NHL. Eichel was there until he got hurt, so obviously he's not there anymore. And the misfit line, they're all, I believe, in the top 40 right now in minutes played. They are wearing out their best players. And it is December 20th. If this keeps up, the Golden Knights forwards are going to play, the, the top six anyways, are going to play the most minutes in the league just about going into the postseason. And that's probably a terrible thing to do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it comes from they can't trust Phil Kessel. When it's a close game, or the next case when they're losing, they can't trust Phil Kessel. So if you've got a guy on your team that you cannot put in the line, or put on the ice, you, you that's that's hurting well, everybody. Well, they keep putting him on the ice. Right. That's hurting everybody. 
it hurts you when he's on the ice. And then when you decide, well, we'll bench him, it hurts you in the long term because now your best forwards are playing 20-plus minutes in a game. Because the last five minutes of that game, the the Misfits, Stone, and Steve, they didn't come off the ice. Like those, the, It was just those five, basically, the entire time. So he's hurting the team. It's very clear that this team is better if Phil Kessel's not, on the, not in the lineup. But here's, I think, the big question for you. Is Bruce Cassidy allowed to take Phil Kessel out of the lineup? Yeah, I I think he is. I don't think they, well, what am I saying? Micromanage. We saw what happened last year. Be <laughs> bored. Ah! Um, but I, I can't believe with Bruce Cassidy, they're micromanaging to a point where they're, they're, the edict is you can't take him out. I, I think he's close to doing it. I think last night might have been the final straw. Now, again, we have to see when Jack Eichel comes right. back. Um, but I, I do think that he has the authority to take him out of the lineup. Kessel got the record for most consecutive games. Right. And, that, and, and by the, way, get, the record's done. For he's anybody that's that. not aware, the backdrop to all of this, the context to all of this, is that Phil Kessel has set the NHL record for most consecutive, consecutive games, games played. played. He's over 1,000, right? Set the record earlier this year, hit 1,000 earlier this year. He hasn't missed a game in, what was it, 2008 or something stupid like that? Like, he's been unbelievably uh, durable in his time in the NHL. And that's the context here, is that... If you healthy scratch Phil Kessel, you're ending a streak. You're right. ending one of the biggest uh, records that Phil Kessel has, right? And I'm curious, did the front office make any promises to Phil Kessel when they signed him? Did they sign him and say you'll play every I game? would hope not, given his age and what happened last year in Arizona and bringing him in. Now, I, don't, I think Bruce Cassidy has the authority to do it, but I like the way you're going in terms of how would he feel if he did it? Right. I mean, I think he has the authority. If he wants to bench him, he'll bench him. But he knows about the streak, and does he want to be the guy that ends that streak? Right. It's different than having the authority or not. Like we saw earlier this year, Paul Cotter got healthy scratch despite right. playing. Coming out of training camp, it was, oh, look at how good Paul Cotter is. He, he scored some goals, but he still got healthy scratch because Bruce Cassidy looked at it and said, well, for whatever reason, maybe he wasn't playing well at the moment, but looked at it and said, our best chance to win is with Paul Cotter. On or in the press box, right? That's absolutely the case right now. The Golden Knights' best chance to win is not with Phil Kessel on the ice, but whether it's a front office, hey, we told this guy we weren't going to scratch him, or whether it's just simply Bruce Cassidy looking at it and saying, do I want to be that guy? There's a lot more that goes into this than just, you know, like it's not just Paul Cotter I'm scratching. Right. I'm scratching the longest consecutive game streak played in this league's history. It's a it's an interesting spot for him to be in because he knows it's hurting his team. He, he knows that he's oh you yeah. if he if he didn't know it before he knew it last right. night when he when he benched him essentially and then said that afterwards. And so to me, a lot of this it goes back to the front office signing Phil Kessel in the first place, right? They, here's the thing: you sign Phil Kessel to a one year deal worth one point five million dollars. There's Which nothing, is not much. There's nothing wrong with that contract, no. right? It's an older veteran player. He's had productive seasons. Hell, he had 40-something assists last year, right? There's reason to think, yeah, one year, 1.5 million, yeah, whatever. That's not going to hurt us. The problem, though, is that's that's very unique to Phil Kessel. Because of his streak, everybody has to think twice about taking him out of the lineup. If they, right. had, if they had signed any other veteran player, if they had signed, if Phil Kessel had missed a game last season at any point. And he didn't have the streak. And didn't have the streak, then... There's no real issue. Phil Kessel probably would have already been scratched at some right. point this year. And we'd be talking about, all right, he's an option, but you know, you don't really want to use whatever. But because of the streak, he's a completely different type of player for a head coach to deal with. And Bruce Cassidy's in. I, I don't think it's a tough spot 
because I would healthy scratch him and say, whatever, I don't care about your streak. But it, I, I well, understand he, why he's he got the streak. Spot. Right. He I mean, got he, it. He's got the streak, and given 2022 and how players get hurt and how they manage guys and stuff like that, that streak might hold for a really, really long time. It might, yes. You know what I'm going to be curious to see? I don't know if we'll get there at this rate because it's December 20th, but Phil Kessel plays in every game in the regular season and isn't in the game one playoff lineup. Yeah, I I don't know if that's possible. That he'd leave him in the lineup the whole year? Or that yeah, he'd that he'd, scratch if, him for if, the playoffs? If, if he left him in the lineup the whole year, I think he'd play him in the first game of the playoffs. Here's the thing with the playoff. That, that doesn't matter to Phil Kessel's streak. Like, Phil Kessel's streak is a regular, season, regular streak. season. It has nothing to do with the post. So you can scratch, I think he'd scratch him before then in the postseason, and it doesn't matter. So that I'd be fascinated to see if he actually gets through the whole regular season. Because we, we make this mistake all the time where we're like, oh, once they get healthy, it'll make sense to scratch Phil Kessel. They might not be actually healthy the rest of the year. Like, they might have. Well, that's a good point. There's like, when one, co- when one comes back, another one tends right. to go down. Like, they might have two or three forwards out for the rest of the season, and it's like, well... I mean, you got to keep playing them. You could call somebody up from the AHL, but then you got roster uh, limits and all that stuff. So there's a chance that he's just in the lineup because the the thing yeah. he's most valuable for is he doesn't miss time at this point. So it's it's an interesting situation, and the way that Cassidy talked about it and the way that he handled his playing time absolutely suggests that Phil Kessel shouldn't be in the lineup. Yes. But it's not so easy as, oh, yeah, Phil Kessel's going to be scratched. Um but you are right. I am very close to uh, taking my victory lap. At least he stopped referring to things as a final solution to the Phil Kessel problem, especially on the third night <laughs> of Hanukkah. Say, I didn't say final solution. I just said a solution to the yeah. Phil Kessel problem. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I would uh, play him with uh, Smith and Carlson, though. That was my solution to the Phil Kessel problem. And elevate Marshall. Uh, well, at the moment, it was with Eichel healthy, but Eichel's oh, not with healthy. I, well, so, with Eichel not healthy. Yeah, I mean, technically, you'd elevate Riley Smith because he plays uh, on that wing. Yeah, he plays on the wing, and he's playing pretty well, actually. <laughs> yes, Riley Smith is the uh, shining the bright guy. spot at home he, games yeah, exactly. right now. Guy can't stop. He's already got 17 goals yeah. this year. It's incredible. And here's the thing. They're losing at home, but what Riley Smith is doing, you'd look at and say, oh, he's carrying the offense, but... They're still losing, which, by the way, here's a fun stat for you. In the month of December, wins at home, Golden Knights 1, Raiders 2. Oh, <laughs> hello, Chandler Jones. <laughs> he made it possible. He made it happen. All right. Coming up next, what are we getting into? I forgot. Oh, yeah, the Raiders. Ed's here to talk about the Patriots' dumb play. From the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. That was Harry Ruiz on the Spanish call of Chandler Jones' game-winning touchdown. Did he at one point say La Cocina? That's kitchen in Spanish. I'm under the impression he said he took it to the kitchen. I understood Chandler Jones' Raiders in Impossible. (laughs) After that... I mean, I've wanted to have Harry on the show, on, but he's oh, sometimes a lot of times he's over on Raider Nation Radio. Hold on, Jared, can you play the English version? Um, yes, let me find it real okay. quick because there part of the English version call of Jason Horowitz on Raider Nation Radio. Mwah. 
It's absolutely delightful. I'm pretty sure he tried to say interception, realized midward it wasn't an interception, and tried to say fumble, and it's just a a mashup of syllables that is not an actual word that is uh, also fantastic. All right. Because this thing's 52 seconds long. We Hold can, we can yeah. cut it after Chandler Jones intercepts the fumble. All right. Uh, that'll be fine. Raiders only have three up by the line of scrimmage. Mac Jones hands it off on a draw to Ramondre Stevenson. Breaks out of a tackle at the 50. Has the 45. Breaks away from another tackle. Pitches it backwards. And now Jacoby Myers spinning around. He throws it to Chandler Jones in midfield. And a step forward. Chandler Jones <laughs> racing towards the end zone. I do not blame Jason Horowitz at all because what else are you supposed to say when Somebody throws the ball like 40 yards and it gets caught yeah. by a defender. I totally forgot it was a fumble recovery until reminded in the press box. I totally <laughs> forgot that that's how they would score that. Um, because you just, like you said, anytime it's a pass of any sort yeah, he, and someone catches it, you're like, oh, it's an interception. He threw it like a quarterback yeah. and Jason Horowitz called it like an interception yeah. and realized mid-word, wait a minute, that's not what happened here. Um the the uh, I love the play-by-play official uh, verbiage here. Ramondre Stevenson rushed up the middle for 23-yard gain, lateral to Jacoby Myers. Jacoby Myers fumbled. Chandler Jones recovered fumble and returned 48 <laughs> yards for touchdown. <laughs> and if you if you didn't know what had happened, you'd, you'd have thought so- Chandler Jones was standing right next to him. Right. And he dropped the ball, and Chandler Jones picked it up and ran for the right. touchdown. You'd be like, they ran the option with Ramondre Stevenson and Jacoby Myers, and then Chandler Jones forced a fumble yes. and to picked Chandler it up. Chandler Jones in midfield, and a step <laughs> I think, actually... Play it again. I think he's saying intercepted and stiff arm at the same time. I think he transitions yeah. into stiff arm because, you know, Mac Jones has got to make stiff armed into the ground. He's got to make that tackle. To Chandler Jones in midfield and a stiff arm. Yeah, I think that's what yes, that I is. Yes, I think stiff arm. He cuts himself off from intercepted because he realizes, oh, that's not interception. And then, oh, I, Mac I, Jones I just got stiff armed yeah. into the earth. <laughs> I think, yeah, he. The scene from the Marvel movies where they land and the earth like cracks around them, that might as well have been Mac Jones going, I got to make this tackle. Oh, what a, I mean, it's an unbelievable moment. I know I ask you this all the time, Ed. Like, did were you writing or anything like that? Did you have anything written? And I assume it was in early games. You probably didn't have no, anything written. No, I did not have anything written. written at that point. But you and your other review journal uh, co-workers, you guys are already talking at this point what about you're going to write about, yes, right? Exactly, yes. What were you going to write about before that play? The, what the, was your angle? The, the recent disaster of now 0-5 and blowing <laughs> double-digit leads at halftime. And how the season, well, the playoff pitcher was over. It would have been dead. It would have been kind of the burial. It would have been the burial. And then Jacoby Myers and Chandler and Jacoby, Jones and teamed up just, to save the day. I mean, And then we all looked at each other. We said, scratch everything we said. <laughs> Everyone come up with new angles. Didn't the Patriots also lose a touchdown on calling a timeout? They did do that. Yes, yes. they did. They Only did lost, lost four yeah. points. Yeah, yes, they did do that. They did. This this felt they like got the false start and they moved him back. And you probably said this, but I missed yesterday. You probably said this. This the Patriots executed the perfect Raiders game. Oh yeah, it makes a hundred percent sense that the like after watching the entire Raiders season and the hilarious way yeah. that they lose games, and then watching where everybody came from that coaches the Raiders now, and watching the Patriots do that, it makes sense. You're like, oh yeah, they're just doing what the Patriots would yeah. do. It's Patriots West <laughs> you, you trained, in the worst way possible. 
It's what it is. You trained under a great slapstick comedian, Bill Belichick. <laughs> yeah. What it is. Um, all right. Did you see uh, Darren Carr on Twitter? Uh, I saw it quickly with Dame Lillard. I saw it quickly. I didn't go through the whole thread to see what he was worried about or so, mad about. Damian Lillard was watching the game live, was tweeting uh, live during the game, and a Raiders fan tweeted to Damian Lillard that Carr deserves better. And Lillard responded with, better than 17, 83, 13, and 28. So basically, Question he, mark. he needs better than Devontae Adams, Aaron Waller, Hunter Renfro, and Josh Jacobs. And Darren Carr, the brother of Derek Carr, responded to Lillard just saying, what's your deal? What is Darren Carr doing? Yeah, I, I don't know why he's trolling anybody, but that's what he does. You yeah. know, it's the sticking up for the brother all the time. But isn't the job of the younger brother of the star quarterback supposed to be make tacky TikToks that might be on top of the Sean Taylor memorial? <laughs> like, that's, that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be out here having fun, make TikToks, be an influencer. You're not supposed to be like, butthurt about your brother. Right. Well, and, then that's all and going they are. after Dame Lillard of all people. That, that's all they are with it when it comes to Derek. Well, here's the other thing: Dame Lillard and uh, Derek Carr might as well be that Spider-Man emoji. How how old is Patrick Mahomes' brother? Jackson. Uh, I assume he's, he's. I always assume he's like 16. Right. Darren Carr, I think, is in his 40s. Oh yeah. Darren Carr yeah. coaches high school football. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes' yeah. brother might play high school right. football. Like, and he's on Twitter. Yelling at Damian Lillard. Actually, if you scroll through his Twitter feed, that's probably the least uh, worrisome thing that he tweets. But Darren Carr's out here yelling at Damian Lillard. and Jackson Mahomes is 22. Oh, he's a little older than I thought. But, like, if I was Derek Carr, I'd be so embarrassed by my brothers. Like... His other brother is on NFL Network claiming every, every year he's going to be the MVP. He's going to be the MVP. And then every Derek year. Carr comes nowhere close. No. Ever. And then Darren Carr might be worse because Damian, I mean, Damian Lillard, you'd kind of consider a super fan of the Raiders because he's popular or famous. And Darren Carr's out here like, what's your deal, man? Like, yeah, I think cares. Darren's worse. I mean, Derek, excuse me, David is on NFL Network. It's his brother. I mean, it's kind of silly that he always says MVP, and then he had John Gruden as the coach of the year when Gruden was still there. Like, that stuff is a little silly, but you can kind of see it's his brother. He's going to take, you know, he's going to, you know, defend the brother, say his brother's, you know, well, better than he's proven to be. I think the weird part is Darren. Like, I, I think he's worse that he trolls these people and that he's always, you know, people say, oh, he's defending his brother. No, he kind of trolls people. And really take shots and stuff like that. So I I think that's worse than David just saying, oh, my brother's going to be the MVP. Yeah. I mean, that's whatever. I agree. It's pretty embarrassing, though. If you're uh, related yeah. to a famous athlete, probably better to just kind of calm down, not not talk a whole lot, or not do TikToks on a Sean Taylor memorial. Which, granted, you just painted the number 21 on the ground. That's probably the best Sean Taylor memorial they've actually done, though, <laughs> is painting his number on the ground compared to the other things they've done. All right, coming up next, David Roth joins the show. We're on one. I lost count. Dishwasher watch. David Roth from Defector is with us on the press box. Subscribe to the distraction on Stitcher and use the promo code distract for a free month of Stitcher premium. David, you've given us hope for the last couple of weeks. How's your dishwasher situation with Norbert? So improving. I've met him. He's an extraordinary done. man. I want to be real with you, though. I'm going to Maine tomorrow. There's no way that this gets done during the calendar oh, no. year. Uh, so that will means that we will have spent 
12 glorious months <laughs> checking in every week so that you can be like, has anything new happened? And I'm like, no. <laughs> so I think now, you know, we're going to start fresh. 2023 is going to be a new year. I will not be hand washing my dishes by, you know, I don't know, March. I have a lot of, of hope there. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. There's also uh, been some news on the gas shutdown in the building. That is going to happen for a few days in January. So for a very brief while, I'm going to be living in the 19th century. Uh, but then after that, it hopefully will be normal. God, this is just a great... I, listen, we should put this up for some sort of award. I don't know what radio awards there are out there, but uh, hey, David Ross dishwasher update should win awards yes. across the country. Oh, yeah. This is technically like this is long form narrative storytelling. <laughs> this is I don't know, you know, what NPR is trying to do with a lot of the podcast stuff there, to be honest. Like this is what people want. It's been great. I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I look forward to you being optimistic about having a dishwasher by March and sometime in June of 2023. I'm still asking you what Norbert's doing. Yeah, I mean, I should be like, yeah, he hasn't uh, been calling me back. He said he had a, it's a very, very long vacation and also destroyed his phone. Yeah, we'll see how this goes, but he seems like a, a real dude, you know? Like, he wasn't, he didn't have the swagger of the guy that came in and was like, yeah, man, I'll do it right now. I don't care. Like, I love getting electrocuted. But he does have the insurance that that guy doesn't have, so hopefully it'll come together. All right. Did you see the Raiders and Patriots ending? So I was going to ask you all, I mean, obviously it's your show, have you talked about anything else in the days <laughs> since that happened? Like, do you need to? Like, can you just fill through Christmas with that and then, like, take a couple of days off? Well, we just spent the last segment talking about the Spanish radio call, but also uh, listen to the, the word that starts out as intercepted and tell me how you think it ends in this call. To Chandler Jones in midfield, intercepted! <laughs> <laughs> Really, some experimental vocalization. Yes. He doesn't even get into the, like, all the way through the E. Like, the P-T-E-D is not. That is just a wash <laughs> of noise. I love it. That uh, I'm pretty sure uh, he's got, he's transitioning to the word stiff arm or the two words stiff arm in there. Uh, and I also think he realized, no, that's not an interception because that was a 40-yard backwards lateral. <laughs> right. Like, I don't even think they hadn't because this play changed the, you know, just the range of possibilities in watching football. I, I don't think that there is a word for the thing that happens there yet. Cause it's not a fumble and it's not an interception. You can't really intercept the lateral. Like that is just, that's something new. Like that is just a volcanic eruption of new possibility during the game. I will say the one thing, so I've, I've watched the highlight, you know, like everybody else, probably two, 300 times. Uh, there's, Obviously, a lot to find there. The thing that I was most struck by afterwards was people clowning Mac Jones for somehow not tackling Chandler Jones and for getting <laughs> stiff armed like that. And you know, it's pretty funny, like because it's definitely one of those moments where you're sort of transported to a world where like a normal civilian is dropped onto an <laughs> NFL field and asked to do an NFL thing. Like Mac Jones didn't handle that worse than I would have, but he didn't really handle it better either. I just don't know what people expected from that. Like, did they think that he was going to make like some perfect form tackle on a guy who is twice his size and uh, has momentum? Like, I, I feel like that one, you can kind of not blame Mac for it. Well, and it seemed like Mac already had a knee on the ground. I mean, he had no chance unless he would have just like latched onto his foot and just held on and be drugged down the field. 
Yeah, that's like the um, that is not what low man wins means. <laughs> like, does that mean that you get into a protective crouch before Chandler Jones <laughs> he uh, gently topples you over? What's it's this, what's so, the list of quarterbacks that could actually make that tackle though? I mean, it's like Jacoby Brissett. Like, some of them are big. Like, this is there are NFL quarterbacks who have always. I remember being struck by this when I was writing football cards and I actually had my editor uh, when I was at Tops like tell me he's like you don't need to mention that Donovan McNabb is that big like and I was like but it's very impressive like he's extremely big you know but there's there's other attributes I think that Jones just has that look of like most of your like sort of SEC South type quarterback guys are they're just little littler dudes I don't know that anybody's going to tackle Chandler Jones in that situation, though. Like, he's always had that sort of look. It's what you want in, a, you know, a certain type of pass rusher where they just sort of look like a child's drawing of a really strong guy. You know, like, it's not like realistic attributes. And so I don't know that anybody would have, you know, like, I think there's guys that would have done less. I think that Aaron Rodgers would not have allowed himself to be physically touched in that scenario. He would have been so disgusted that he would have just been like on his <laughs> walking phone. off the field. Right. Yeah. Like taking his helmet would have been off yeah. by the time the ball was settled in Chandler Jones's hand. All right. Uh, this stat's a little bit old from Tom Verducci, but I don't think we brought it up with you and you are the perfect person for this stat. Um, 54 players in MLB history have been listed at 270 pounds or heavier and only one has homered past his 37th birthday, and that guy was Bartolo Colon. That's fantastic. I think that I must have seen that, because it's the sort of thing, you know, you don't, no one wants to, like, spend their life building a brand as the person that that stat would get sent to, but, like, (laughs) I did that. I didn't do it on purpose, but that is, like, if someone saw that, they'd be like, hey, I thought you would enjoy this, You're, you're an idiot. And that's totally true. I, like, remember that very fondly. I think we're gonna see that change, you know, like provided that, uh, like Aaron Judge, Aaron Judge can stay around long enough, or uh, I don't know, Dan Vogelback gets a personal mobility scooter. <laughs> like, I want to believe that there's a future out there where it can happen. But um, the Bartolo Homer is, I think, the single most improbable thing I've ever seen. Like we talked about the sound that uh, that broadcaster was making when that lateral backwards pass was intercepted. Gary Cohen, who is the Mets play-by-play guy and is like absolute state-of-the-art professional, was also uh, like ululating when that ball left the stadium. Like that was not—he <laughs> was not his most professional. Uh, and I think that you know you, you want that for a moment like that. It's fitting. Are you surprised that some of these uh, contracts these shortstops got? Not really. Uh, I, I've sort of like tried to. I mean, the first one, yes, but like once you've seen your third or fourth 11-year contract of the offseason, you're kind of like, oh, I guess this is what owners are into now. We talked about this a little bit last week. I think that there's something... It's interesting to see like the trend sort of emerge this quickly. I think some of it probably has to do with inflation and just sort of like business stuff, discounting these down the line, and I'm not smart enough to explain that. Uh, I'm like too enumerate to even begin. But I think that there's clearly like a new way of looking at average annual value as more important than uh, like flexibility and, you know, within the next five years. And so 
either it's a belief in, in the ability of players to stay healthier longer or to be used differently, or maybe it's just knowing that you have a DH position to like stick 38-year-old Trey Turner at somewhere down the line. But it seems like everybody agreed at the same moment that this was just how you could do it now. So as strange as it is relative to like what I have gotten used to, you know, in my lifetime of being a baseball fan, it's like over the course of one off season, it's now like anytime somebody signs for just five years, like, oh, wow, they don't really have a lot of faith in that one, do they? <laughs> <laughs> All right, David, uh, before we let you go, did you watch the World Cup final? I did. Were uh, you, were you I, pleased I was with the entertainment? <laughs> you were hooting. I think, it's, I think it's just I don't know how to watch soccer, really. I think that's like one of the best sporting events I've ever seen. I and the people I, I checked in with the soccer knowers at Defector while it was happening. I was, this is really good, right? Like I'm not just a <laughs> you know. And they were all confirming that this is uh, you know about as as good as it could possibly get. I think if every well, and this is a dumb thing to say, but I think if every soccer game was like that, I would watch much more. Like I couldn't believe how back and forth it was. I loved you know just to see like how good Mbappe was and how good Messi was like. It made me feel for like a couple of hours like I understood international soccer, and now it's all gone. Like, I don't think that I, you know, whatever, you could drop me in front of a Premier League game and I would be on my phone within 10 minutes, but that was the good stuff. Yeah, I saw there was a TikTok of a guy saying, if this is the first soccer game you've ever watched, don't watch another one. You're done. Right. That's, that's yep. the end of the sport. Yeah, just like getting started with Godfather 2, and then someone's like, I'd like to introduce you to the work of David Spade. Like, that's <laughs> you just, it's just not fair. All right, David. Uh, I look forward to at least six more months of dishwasher talk with you. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Same. Have a good one. Great spending this whole year with you on that topic. Looking Thank forward you. to another one. David Wright <laughs> from care, guys. Defector, uh, as always. Great to talk to. Coming up next... We'll jump into a little bit of college football because we've got some dumb stories to talk about. The final play, situationally, how do you weigh what was called as opposed to taking a shot at the end zone? Taking a shot at the end zone? Yeah, like a Hail Mary, 55 yards couldn't away, getting it as deep as you could. Yeah, couldn't throw it that far. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. They weren't actually, where were they? Were they at their own 40? Can't throw it that far. Yeah. There's not many quarterbacks that would actually be able to throw a Hail Mary right. that far, right? That's a, that's a ways. Like there's, there's, there's like less than five that you would say. Yeah, that's a ways. Like Jacoby Brissett, the Hail Mary specialist, the quarterback sneak slash Hail Mary specialist. Aaron Rodgers, I just assume, can throw a Hail Mary from anywhere on the field. And Patrick then, like Mahomes, I've seen him throw out of the stadium. Yeah. And then, but maybe, I've also seen JJ Watt do that. So, like Josh Allen, does he throw? I mean, that, you're you're talking about if you're from your own forty, you're also not throwing it from the line of scrimmage. You got to throw it. It's got to be a damn pair, near seventy right. yards. Well, I think they figured out on that one Aaron Rodgers that he threw it like a hundred yards up. <laughs> like he threw it in such a parabolic arc that it almost touched the lights at the at Ford. But I do love that. Bill Belichick was like, what? Shot at the end zone. How were we going to do that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Hail Mary. Yeah, no chance. Can't throw it that far. Uh, all right. Cam McCormick is a name to know in college football because he has been granted an eighth and ninth year of eligibility by the NCAA. He has been at Oregon. His freshman year was in 2016. 
He redshirted. He then played in 2017, but he has suffered season-ending injuries in 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021. He did play 12 games last season. So he's only played more than three games in a season twice since 2016, and he has been granted two more years of eligibility. Two more years? Which means he would be at Oregon for an eighth and ninth season if he comes back, he did he, he the story that was um at Oregon Live talked to him and he was like he's making a decision on it. He doesn't know if right. he is, but he has oh, the ability Well, they have him back to come back for 2023 and 2024 if he chooses to, which is just an insane amount of time to be in college. I need a CNN like I need a CNN style like he or not CNN. Uh, I need a, a signing day style. He comes out and there's a hat or a um, of cap and gown. I mean, I was going to say, is this kid going to be playing when he's getting his PhD? Well, Already through grad school? Well, when he talked to Oregon Live, he talked about the degrees. Uh, he already has a bachelor's. He already has a master's. Right. So he said he'd likely take classes in business or yoga. Oh. Or pursue internships to fulfill the academic requirements because there's some things where, like, you have to take an internship to get the class credit or whatever. Right. So he's basically at a point where I don't, it doesn't sound like he's going for a PhD. He's basically at a point where he's like, I can go after a whole different degree or I can just sort of wing it and not do anything. Go to yoga class. Right. And then play football. Uh, Would you want to have been in college for nine years? I was. No, five was enough for me. <laughs> five, I cut it off. Well, was it five or four and a half? It was close. It was close. Yesterday, Lindsay and I were definitely making fun of Tyler for graduating in four years like a loser. Oh no! Like you, that means no. you did. That means you studied. It's weird because then when you're a parent, you are demanding four years. That's right. Because it's like you think we're paying for more than that. You're out of your mind. Uh, I'm pretty sure one of the schools I went to is out of business. <laughs> and it wasn't for profit. <laughs> How do nonprofits even go out of business? Uh, you find out the president has been embezzling basically all the all the tuition. And it's like, wait, we have no money? I think looking back. I probably would have enjoyed going, if, if, especially if they were paying me, staying in college for five, six, seven years, maybe eight, nine, though. Oof. That's a long no, time. It's a long here, time. Here's the other important detail. He's in Eugene, Oregon. He's right? not in a big city. Right. Right. Like I went where I went to school, Miss, is in Oxford, Mississippi. It's a small city. It's a it's a college town. That's the only thing there. The only reason the town exists is because of the University of Mississippi. It's very small. There's not much to do. And like four or five years as a college student, it's great. After that, no interest in living in Oxford, Mississippi. So maybe five or six years, but nine years? I would have just moved like last year. <laughs> it's a damn near decade. That's a long time. I'd be and here's the other thing. He's got he's he caught like nine passes this year. It's not like he's a in 12 games. Right. It's not like he's some massive, important tight end or whatever for Oregon. I, honestly, I'd be a little surprised if he went back. Honestly, I'm surprised they gave him an eighth and a ninth. He hasn't, he hasn't played. He's yeah, been, but. And he gets a COVID year, too. Oh, he does get the COVID yeah, year. Yeah. Everybody right. got the COVID, COVID year. year. He did get the COVID year. He, he had a regular red shirt, 
That is uh, four years where he could say he get, deserves a medical red shirt plus a COVID year. I think if my math is right on the fly, he actually deserves one more additional year. <laughs> how is the how double is, digits? Yeah. Because here's the thing. You get four years of eligibility to play. He's only played in two. So he gets the eighth and the ninth, which is three, four. But then everybody who was on a roster in 2020 year. got a COVID year. So he should actually get a tenth. How does how does he not have an NIL deal with like Poly Dent or like uh, what's Life Alert? Yeah, Life Alert. Life Alert. He's life just alert. in the locker room like ah, I'm 27 and I'm a decade older than all my teammates. So Cam McCormick uh, could be a tight end. What's TikTok? Oregon. None of them will explain. Could be back uh, at Oregon for an eighth and ninth season, and it's great. Uh, quickly, did you see the story about Boise State? They played in the yes. Frisco Bowl. Yeah. Did they didn't you take see their band. how much they said it would have cost? $400,000 to take the entire band to Texas for their bowl Is this game. what these cost when you bring bands? The instruments, the insurance, and the transportation for the instruments. And yeah, the hotel that- room for... 50 kids? I mean, I don't know what they're... I don't know how big the band 000. is. I saw that number. I'm like, every time you take your band, Do it costs you know much how money? much a xylophone costs? <laughs> I'm assuming Boise State uh, might have given the high end of that uh, cost. That has to be the high end. Because they wanted to justify not taking their band. Um, college bands are stupid. They don't need to even be at home games. They don't even need to exist. Like, what are we doing here? We don't need to see kids marching on the sideline playing a tuba. We're fine. We're here to watch football.